Thank you for that, Doug. We appreciate that so much. I would ask, if you would, keep the, uh, the Vision Focus team in your prayers. Uh, they get together regularly. They're trying to ask the right questions. We're trying to gather information. The things that you've said and the cards that we've handed out, the things that we're gathering from people outside, the prayers that we did through uh, 48 hours of prayer, through 40 days of prayer, we're gathering all of that information uh, during this time. And we're, we are asking God, if you're new to us, we just want you to understand, we are asking God right now, guide us, make us the church you want us to be. Show us how we can be more uh, the hands and feet of Jesus in this town. So uh, we're, we're thankful to be able to gather that information that we've gotten so far. I want you to know more than anything, uh, one of the things that we shared with one another is just uh, how surprised people in town were that we would ask. Uh, if nothing else is to come in the name of Christ and go, hey, what do you think a church should do? people who claim to be followers of Christ in this town. What do you think we ought to be about? Who should we be reaching out to? Where are hurting people? How can we pray for you? I want you to know that was one of the things we asked every person we met with. How can we pray for you and your people? What can we do for you? And, and more than anything, they were just, I can't believe you'd come ask. I can't believe that you would come and pray with us. I can't believe that you want to know this. Uh, this has never happened to us before. So at the very least, for us to come in the name of Christ and ask uh, where that cold cup of water needs to go uh, has been uh, beneficial and helped honor uh, the name of Christ. So we're, we're very thankful for that. Uh, today we've got uh, some folks that are off at Soul Link in uh, Houston. We've got a bunch of our youth and several adults. So they're gone. They're going to be traveling back. Uh, we wanted to be sure and pray for them as we get started today so that they will come back safely to us. Uh, let's pray before we get into the sermon and the message today. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you that we get to call ourselves the redeemed of Christ, not because of anything that we did, but because of what you've done, uh, that we have uh, been able to, to be the bride of Christ, dressed in uh, pure white at a great cost. Uh, for us to be seen as without flaw, without sin, without guilt in any way. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time this morning as we lift our voices in song, as we uh, dig into your word, uh, as we try to have a message uh, about what it means for us to be your church. And so, Lord, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into this room as a heavy presence, that we would know uh, and see his presence here in this place. I ask that you would uh, translate the words that I say today into uh, what we need to hear into the hearts of men and women here in this place. Lord, we also pray for Faith Christian Church this morning as well. Lord, we ask that you bless that body of believers that is there, uh, that is part of the, um, the universal church. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, ignite a fire in them and in us that we would go out and be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So, we have been in Acts and in Acts 2, and we're going to be getting into Acts 2.37 today as, uh, as uh, you've heard or maybe saw on the uh, bulletin there. we got an interesting uh, title to the sermon today. I'll get into that here in just a little bit. It's not as violent as it seems uh, to start off with, but uh, we want to talk in particular about the sermon that Peter gave. Last week, if you recall, we had somebody read, we had several people read together the sermon that Peter gave. And what I want to do is I want to show you that this is a pivotal, pivotal moment in the history of the world right now. What you had was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension back into heaven, his great commission that he's given all of his disciples during that time that will go on to us, 
And after his ascension, you have his people coming into Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes on them and gives them power and gives them boldness. And then Peter stands up, of all people, Peter stands up, and he gives the first ever gospel sermon. It's the first one that's ever been given. The first time somebody publicly went, let me tell you about what Jesus did. Let me tell you about what the Messiah did. It's the first time this has ever happened. And what he does is he stands up with this great boldness, and not only is he saying it, but the Holy Spirit is translating it so that people from all over are hearing it in their own language. And he goes through the whole thing of going, hey, this Jesus, he was the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for. And let me show you, because I'm going to quote from Joel the prophet, he fulfilled that. And then I'm going to quote from King David, who said that there is a Lord higher than me, and this Jesus, he came from him, and that's who he was, and this is who you've been waiting for. And he was here, and he did miracles, and you know it, because you saw them or you heard about them. And then he was killed, but he could not stay dead. I love that idea. Death could not hold on to him. And so he was raised from the dead. And then at the end of this sermon, he comes to this spot. And we know this spot. We, we've learned this a lot, especially when you start getting into Acts 2.38. You know, that one's stamped on our hand when we become members of the Church of Christ. We know that one. But I want you to know that even before that, there's this Acts 2.36 and 37, and there's this very pivotal moment after the first gospel sermon is preached. What happens? What happens with this? And if I can, I'd like to read this to you, Acts 2.36 through 37. This is how Peter ends his sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That question, what shall we do, is a huge question. It's still a question today. But what I want to do is back up a little before that, and to go even before that question, there's this, there's this place of the heart that it talks about that I really want us to dig into today. Because let me tell you, that question and what follows means nothing if there's not this place of the heart where they were cut to the heart. It led them to the correct question, what should we do about this? You need to know it did lead them to that, and there's no doubt about that. But it only counts if they were cut to the heart. The question's important, but the reason is so important too. Cut to the heart. Really what it uh, talks about, I went and did a little digging in that. Pierced to the heart, cut to the heart. Uh, one of the things that I, I saw it uh, translated is acutely distressed. They were acutely distressed. In other words, this really bothered them in some way. But literally it says in the Greek, they were stabbed thoroughly in the heart. That's what happened when they heard this message of what Jesus did and their participation in it. And their involvement in what happened there is that they were cut to the heart. And it's not just a flesh cut. You need to understand. It's not tis but a scratch. And it's not the small cut that happened in the flesh. It went deep. It went all the way into the heart. And it cleaved their heart in half. And they found themselves in this place where they were going, I've been cut deeply to the heart by what I've heard. And, and I would like to, to give to you today that that is the right place for God's people to be. Not just then and not just once, but that's a good place for God's people to be, is where our hearts are cut deeply, deeply by the gospel and what happens around us. And they weren't just pierced in their heart, you need to know at that time, and, and cleaved there for their own guilt. 
Because they had come from all over. If you remember, these are Jews that had come from all over the world. They had shown up there. They weren't necessarily the people that were in the crowd going, crucify him, crucify him. So when they said this, that this was, he made him both Lord and Messiah, whom you crucified, this was kind of a communal guilt. And also a communal sort of involvement is to be able to say, we're all part of this. This Jesus who came and was killed. And not only that, but this, this idea that we missed out on hope. It's not just guilt in the crucifixion, but it's also do you realize that what we, the Jewish people, because that's who he's talking to, have been praying about for centuries. Do you realize what we've been looking for forever? Do you remember our prayers and the way that we would talk and the songs that we would sing and the psalms that we would read and everything that we did was pointing to this and he showed up. And then he died. What we had all been waiting for, our hope, our joy, came and was here. And then he was killed. And that should cut us to the heart because we missed it. In some ways, at least for some of them to go, you mean he was here? And we missed it. We missed it. Maybe we didn't have the chance to be his disciples and his followers during that time. He was here for only a short time, and he did all of these things, and we had heard about it, but I didn't get the chance to go and follow him. I didn't get the chance to bow in front of him. I didn't get the chance to weep in front of him and to praise him and to worship him. And you mean now he's gone? The correct reaction to that is to be cut right to the heart. It should be the reaction that's there, to be stabbed thoroughly in the heart. Now, here's the problem is you stay there. That's where you would remain if we only had Acts 2, 36 and 37. You would remain just cleaved right through the middle of your heart. You would remain injured and wounded in that way. But what's going to happen is they're going to follow that up with Acts 2, 38. And we're going to talk about that next week. Of the idea, here's the answer, and you don't need to stay just completely cleaved. There's an answer to this. There's hope to this. In your sorrow, there will come hope. But this being at this place where we're pierced right in the heart, I want you to know I'd, I'd like for us to take a moment today and kind of embrace that idea. It's okay for us to be pierced to the heart. As God's people, we should be pierced to the heart. Not only once, but we're going to follow that up, the importance of what it means for our hearts to be pierced. It's an important part of being a follower of Christ. It allows us to understand the gravity, one, of our own salvation. When you grasp the idea of what Jesus did for us, but it also helps us to be like Christ in this idea that we would have a pierced heart. It should start when we come to understand the weight of what Jesus did for us. That idea that we could say together is there was this Messiah and he came and you know the miracles and you've read about what he did and we we're part of him dying. And that's a communal thing for us. We should be pierced right to the heart in that. To understand the gravity and the beauty and the cost and the love and the sacrifice. For our sake, the king of the universe was not put on an earthly throne. Instead, he was hung on a tree. And he was humiliated. And he was killed. All out of the love that he has for us. And so, number one, that should be the place where our heart is cleaved where we are pierced during that time. But we're not going to stay there. That's not where we're going to remain, but we do need to talk about that. We want to remember, first of all, that Jesus was cut to the heart before we were. 
That's an important part for us to remember. As we sit here and we talk about this and they go, man, when I come to, to face to face with the idea of my salvation and what Jesus did for me, it cuts me right to the heart. You need to know before that, he was cut to the heart for you. That's the whole reason why he came. That brokenheartedness of God, that he was cut to the heart, is what moved Jesus from heaven to earth. Too often we look at it and we think that what happened was Jesus was driven out of heaven down to earth because you're a mess and because he's mad and because he's upset because you're a huge screw-up. And that's not what happened. What happened was our Heavenly Father was cut to the heart for us. The fact that we were lost, that we were wondering, and that we needed him. And that's what drove him to the incarnation. That's where it came from. As a matter of fact, you hear him talk when Jesus was here a couple of different times because we were like sheep without a shepherd or that he wanted to gather us like hens, like a hen does to his chicks. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, this is what Jesus said when he was here on the earth. He said, Jesus went through, it said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That compassion that he said is a compassion that moves someone to action. And then in Luke 13, 34, this is what Jesus said as he looked out over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who would kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You see, brokenheartedness, I would say, was the driving force between all, behind all of what Jesus did. It was this idea that he had this sorrow for people that were like sheep without a shepherd. It's this sorrow and this hurt, and it cleaved his heart to see people suffering from disease and from illness and from fear and from legalism and from worrying about the law and wondering whether or not they're enough. And that brokenheartedness is what drove him to move. It's what moved him here. So being cut to the heart allows us in some ways to be like our Jesus. It's not just that we're cut to the heart because of what he did. We can also be cut to the heart now in the same way that he was cut to the heart. As we come to emulate him, to be like Christ, that's a huge part of it for us. There are certain things that we should be acutely distressed and stabbed thoroughly in the heart about. And the interesting thing is, the rest of the world, they may not be, and they may not understand it in the same way we do, because we have the unique ability to be brokenhearted in a way that the rest of the world doesn't, because we know this is not how it's supposed to be. This world, this hurt, the way that people suffer, this is not how it's supposed to be. We know that because we understand and we're starting to learn about the kingdom of God about what Jesus set up here, this upside-down kingdom and the way it's supposed to be. This is not the kingdom come of Jesus here in this place when we see people suffering that way. And so what happens with us and what makes us unique is that we get to have sorrow and hope together. And the rest of the world doesn't necessarily get to have this. But we do. You see, we have this sorrow because we go, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But we have this hope because we know, I know what Jesus set up. I know what his kingdom's supposed to be. I know how we're supposed to love one another. I know that there's supposed to be this fruit of the spirit that happens, this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness 
and self-control. See, that's what it's supposed to be. His kingdom here on earth, that's what it's supposed to be. That's how it looks different for us. See, here's the thing. When you have sorrow and hope together, something powerful happens. If you're missing one of those, it really turns into a mess. Like, for instance, if you have sorrow for the world and what's happening, but you don't understand any sort of idea of hope, that just leads to despair, depression, and meaninglessness. You look at the world and you see people suffering and you see addiction and you see hurt and you see anxiety and you see people hurting themselves and you go, well, of course they do. The world's broken. It's a mess. I'm really sorry about that. But that's the way it is. It's the way of the world. That's what happens when you have sorrow without hope. But when you have hope with no sorrow, then what that does is that leads to this lack of compassion and empathy. There's this idealism. Everything's going to be fine. It'll be okay. Everything will be fine. I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering, but it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. There's no motivation to act. You just sit here and you wait for maybe a better day at some point. That's why for us, those that have been redeemed by God, those of us that have been changed, those of us that have been called to this mission that Christ has called us to, to bring heaven down here to earth. We have a unique idea of what it looks like when we see hurt in the world. We have sorrow and we have hope, and they work together. But it becomes this real challenge for the church to make sure that we put our brokenheartedness in the right place. Because there should be some brokenheartedness, and I'm telling you, we're going to try and embrace that. We're going to hang on to this brokenheartedness that we have, but we need to put that in the right place. It, it's, it's not on our own stuff. It's not where we sit in here and we go, well, I'm brokenhearted because the church isn't doing what I want it to do or we're not doing things the way that I want. We're not singing the songs I want. Scott's talking too long. That's not the brokenheartedness that you should have. Thank you for that. But we should be brokenhearted in some ways. Our God let brokenheartedness move him, and it should move us as well. But it needs to be in line with the things that break his heart. That's the songs that we were singing earlier, right? I feel, I feel for Dustin. He picked out some wonderful songs about breaking our heart and that. And then he looked at the title of the sermon and was like, stabbed thoroughly. Good grief. I don't know if I picked anything violent enough. We, we talked about what was Bon Jovi, shot to the heart. That's one of those that we could have done. We decided not to do that. But you need to know this idea that our brokenheartedness should match Jesus's. We should be brokenhearted and move in the same way that he does. Not just for our own repentance, but because of the great commission that we've been given. And you know it. You know what it feels like to have that, right? It's easiest when it happens with someone that you love. A child. Maybe someone that you have a great relationship with. If you stop for a minute right now and you think about the person closest to you the one that you love the most, who's without God, who's without hope in any way, is kind of wandering through life without any sort of direction. And you can see them being lost. You see them suffering from the anxiety and the fear, not just the normal anxiety and fear we all have, but that goes all the way to their soul. And you know how that makes you feel, and you know how hard that is for us. You're willing to do anything that you can to help that person understand where hope really is. You get cut right to the heart. Let me tell you about a time that I got stabbed thoroughly right in the heart. I have an older sister who was away from the Lord for a long time. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And 
it was clear she was hurting. She was suffering. She was away. She had some anger with God. She had been harmed by the church terribly uh, and was away for a long time. We prayed and prayed about that. Then one day she called and she said, I've got a neighbor who's invited me to church. And so for the first time in years, she was going to step foot back inside a church building. And I want you to know the first thing we all did was hit our knees and start praying for that church. We were praying for that church. Lord, make that a welcoming place. Lord, make that a safe place. Lord, have somebody welcome her. Please let somebody see her. Let somebody be cut right to the heart for the suffering that my sister's going through. Because for me, when I thought about it, my sister's faith was on a razor's edge. The slightest push in any direction could have meant eternity. Just a small welcoming could have meant everything. And a horrible, unwelcoming, judgmental sort of place could have meant everything for her. What ended up happening was somebody did see her and somebody ended up praying with her. Somebody was cut to their heart because of what my sister had been through. And she ended up coming back. She rebuilt her relationship with the Lord. She ended up becoming a minister to young single women at a large church. All because of what happened was someone was cut to the heart for them. That's what we need. That's what we're supposed to be. That's who we are. You need to know that that also doesn't mean that we are sorrowful without joy. See, we, we are not sorrowful people without joy. The idea of us being cut to the heart does not make us sad, sorrowful, just walking around in the dump sort of people. As a matter of fact, I would tell you the people that I know who are the most brokenhearted, for those who don't know the Lord, are the most joyful people in the world. Because they realize the power of redemption in Christ. They realize what Christ has done for them. They realize the mission that they have. They realize the opportunity that we have to step into the lives of those that are hurting and to be able to show them this is where hope lies. This is the answer to what you have. If you walked around with the remedy for cancer with you all the time, just in a shot where you could just go around giving it to people, you would not be a sorrowful people. You would be a person filled with joy because all you needed to do was walk around providing the remedy for all of the things that hurt the world. What a powerful thing it can be. The more hope we have, the more capacity to be pierced in the heart that we will have. And that sorrow with hope, that fuels our mission. Being brokenhearted for the wanderer, the confused, and the lost because we know where safe harbor is. We know. We know the answer to that. Now the question becomes, what happens if we lose the ability to be cut to the heart? What happens if we let our heart get too hard? What if we lose this capacity to go, well, I'm really not brokenhearted about any of this. I'm just kind of happy where I am. You need to know Jesus had a real problem with people like that. That was a lot of his ministry during this time. It was the problem that they had with the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan. They weren't able to be brokenhearted over the wounded man on the road. It was the problem that he had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees when Jesus calls them hypocrites. He says, you're, you're sons of hell and you're hypocrites because what you've got is you pile these great burdens. You see hurting lost people, and instead of helping lead them to safe harbor, you've just burdened them with more. You pile on top of them. Instead of being brokenhearted for them, you just found a way to point at them 
and make it even more difficult for them. That was a problem with those who wished to stone the woman who was caught in adultery. This issue that religious people can have if we're not careful, that we become hard-hearted. Instead of having our heart broken for those who don't know the Lord. And you need to know throughout Scripture, it seems to happen time and time again with the religious people. It's like this disease we can catch if we're not careful. That it'll come in and take us and it'll harden our heart. And we won't be compassionate and we won't have our heart cleaved for those who don't know him. You know, it makes you think of the Titanic. You remember the story of the Titanic with the head, the, the ship that sunk and the people that jumped on the lifeboats. So they had found rescue, right? And then they started rowing away, and most of them were half full. And they had their lives saved, but they could hear the cries of those that ended up in the cold water. And those that are dying. And only like two of them even went back. It's only like two of them actually had their hearts thoroughly stabbed enough to go, we have to go back. See, we, we, we sit in our salvation and we can take that and we can help them. And the weirdest thing about it is you have these people who just moments ago were in the same danger, now find themselves rescued and looking at those in danger as the enemy. Because their fear was, if we go back, they'll swamp us. If we go back, they'll kill us. And so instead of having their hearts pierced, instead of being stabbed thoroughly, with the suffering of other people, they went, they're actually our enemy. They'll destroy us. We cannot go back. God, help us not be those people. Lord, let us be a people who understand our rescue. Let us be cleaved right in the heart to be able to go back and to grab those who still suffer. Amen. We cannot lose our brokenheartedness. That song where we talked about it, it'll break our hearts, keep it soft. We have to have soft hearts. We cannot lose our brokenheartedness. The fact is, there's probably nothing more damaging to believers than if we've lost our ability to be brokenhearted over the suffering of others. If we get to the point where we're no longer broken, we're no longer brokenhearted and we don't get stabbed in the heart anymore, there's really only two reasons for it. One is we've either lost our connection with Christ or he has already returned and redeemed all things. That's the only two reasons. And we're not to the second one yet. So maybe we have soft hearts. This is why this was important today. This is why this was important for us to go do in the community. This idea that we have this suffering that happens all around us. And we're in here, and I'm glad we have each other. And listen, I know some of y'all are suffering. Some of y'all are hurting. I know you looked at that and that report and go, man, that's me, that's me, that's me. I know. And we want you to know we love you, and we want to be there for you. And you can come to us here in just a few minutes and we'll have some prayer time and we want to pray for you and we want to love you and we want you to know you have church family but there is a whole world outside of this building that's desperately calling out for help. And we cannot be hard-hearted about that. We can't start looking at this in kind of a jaded way to go, well, you made your bed, now you got to lie in it. Listen, all we've got is messy beds. All of us. All we've got is messy beds of our own making. That's all we've got. So an important question for a church, especially a church that's looking for guidance in this vision, is what breaks our heart? What is the thing that stabs us thoroughly right to the heart? What are the things that we look at here and we go, that cannot stand? 
We've been cut to the heart to the point where we've been moved to act, to engage, to invade darkness with the light of Christ. We're on the offensive here. I hope you understand that. We have been given a great commission, and we have been given the light not to sit back and wait and fend off darkness. We push darkness back with light. That's what we do. We invade. We bring the light. We let the light overcome the darkness. I want you to take this with you, as we said. Please be, be in prayer about this. We can't fix all of this. That's not what we've been called to do. I'm thankful that the Lord didn't say, hey, go find all the hurt and you go fix it. We don't have the ability to do it, be able to do that. We don't have all the answers. We have the one who does have all the answers. We have the one who can fix these things. And because of that, we get to go invade and we get to be a part of that. We have a God who redeems, who heals hurts, who has all the resources available at his disposal. One of the neat things is my God is independently wealthy. You need to know. He has everything that he needs to make this happen. We're going to be in prayer over this. As a church, we're going to be asking, God, what would you like for us to do with the people that hurt around us? As we try to heal with each other here in this place, and we take that out into the rest of the world. If you would, please stand with me. We're going to pray. And then we're going to have a time of a few songs. And if you would like to come pray with somebody, we'll have some elders around, some ministers. Come find us. Let me tell you this. If you don't yet belong to Christ, if you haven't had this opportunity to hear the gospel and you're getting cut right to the heart today, like you're looking at that and you go, man, I feel God is calling me. You need to know we would so much love to talk to you about what it means for you to become a follower. We would love to show you what it means to go be washed clean in the waters of baptism, to have Christ redeem you in every way, to give you this hope and this sorrow that you can balance out through the rest of your life. To be one who is in the lifeboat, the one who has been rescued and the one who's been redeemed. We would love to tell you about that. But if you have any hurts, anything that we can be praying about, we're going to take that opportunity now. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for this example of those that were cut right to the heart. And Lord, we ask that you would keep our hearts soft for those that are around us and for each other. Lord, we, uh, we want to have our hearts broken first for what you did for us. And we thank you that you didn't leave them cleaved in half, but you have uh, mended our hearts, that you put them back together, that you have shown us hope, that you have shown us redemption, that you have shown us complete acceptance, that you have made us loved in every single way. Lord, we ask now that you would keep our hearts pierced for those that don't know you. Give us a passion for reaching them. Give us a reminder constantly of what we have that has been given to us for no work of our own that we can pass on to other people and make us a people who pass that on. Lord, let us invade darkness with light. And through that, we help bring your kingdom to this place. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.